Hello and welcome to The Nod, a mindful motorcycle podcast. I'm Ben Bowers and once again I'm joined by Anthony Partridge and Charlie Borman. Hello chaps. Hello, hello. How are you? Very well. Yeah, not bad actually. I don't want a pickle Just want to ride on my motorcycle We went to a nice party last night. We had a lovely yeah, time last night. We went night. to yeah. the November Awards, and you were up for an award, and you didn't get it. Well, but, that was uh, that was quick. Did you quick to get that in? Thank you. <laughs> you think he thought he was going to get it? I think he thought he was going to get it. I, I saw him have. He tucked a little piece of paper in his back pocket. It was going to be a session speech. Yeah, I think there were at least four pages. So thank God he didn't get it. Oh, Ben. <laughs> Sorry, mate. It's all right. I'm over it. Okay. okay. I drank my way through the disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit dusty today. No, um, no, it was a, it was a, it was great accolade to be even. even oh, it was, it was very nice to be nominated, so, uh, and it was lovely to see everybody from November. What is it? One point four billion, million, hundred million, or something. Billion dollars raised. One point four billion dollars raised. Yeah. So, um, you know, both of you and I have both had testicular cancer and lost our nuts. We have. And, well, yeah, there's not many nut. testicles in the room today. There's definitely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, how there's many? only five. That's true. Five. Four men, five nuts. <laughs> that could so be a good podcast. You weren't expecting that, were you, Shaky? No, I wasn't expecting that, no. <laughs> <laughs> Moving no, we, on. Well, both of us directly because of the fundraising from November, we both survived cancer. Yeah. On that good note, times. maybe we should uh, finish the intro. Anyway, let's, let's finish the intro. We can cut that out. Yeah. Notice everybody cut that bit out. Uh, once again, we'll be diving into the archives of our own adventures on two wheels and experiences, catching up on the recent goings-on in the bike world. Some news just out on that front. We'll have a little chat about maybe. And uh, yeah, welcoming, as I said, another guest to the Den of Egos, which is a line I think we're going to keep in, um, as, as will become apparent soon. Maybe change um, the name from the Nod to the Den of Egos. Den of Egos. <laughs> uh, as we venture through the rich world of bike culture and subculture, we'll delve into themes of well-being and mental health and empower conversations around those subjects. A big welcome to the most successful rider in British superbike history, Shane Shaky Burn. Thank you for having me. Well, Shane or Shaky? Welcome. Janet, if you want, whatever. Janet. I'm, I'm easy today, Janet, no problem. Janet. Okay, we'll go with Shaky. <laughs> you've, never, you've never been that easy before, Shaky. <laughs> why, why, why Shaky? Do you know what? It's such a it's such a boring story. You never know how life's going to go, right? And if I had, if I had knew life was going to go the way it, it kind of went, then maybe I'd have made up a cooler story. But the reality of it was, I was in a swimming pool in Spain, and I got out, and it was windy, and I started shaking. And one of my friends I was there with was like, "Look at Shaky Shane," and unfortunately, it stuck. So it's <laughs> a really really rubbish <laughs> rubbish reason for having a nickname. But that is that's what exactly why you have mates is because yeah. they nail it on every time, don't they? And observational nicknames are always yeah. the best Perfect. aren't they I spent years being introduced as Benny No Nuts which is a bit more disarming for people you get a bit more blank looks go what <laughs> who knew uh, that a kid from a council estate riding around on his BMX making motorbike noises would eventually end up here in the Nod studio pretty sure you didn't looking oh, back. I, I definitely didn't I mean <laughs> I think there was a lot in between that yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, winning your first podium have I, have I yeah, a, bit? a few, <laughs> few bits and pieces happened in between the two the two events Finally. like me getting lost on the district line and then ended up in the street down the road there somewhere but uh, yeah now we're here now highlights, so highlights. It's, all, it's all good uh, Shaky, you are the only rider to win six British Superbike titles you've also been a double race winner in the Superbike World Championships as a wild card 
and you competed for two seasons in the Premier class at MotoGP. Well, really, it was like a season and a half because, hey. yeah. Well, but anyway, we'll yeah, we that. was there. We was there. Yeah, uh, you made your debut in BSB in 1999, which probably makes you feel about as old as the rest of us. <laughs> Uh, and he went on to race for a further 19 years, which is 19 years more than I've raced, to be fair, until a massive crash at Snetterton ended your season and potentially your career. It did, yes. There's always a chance. Let's not write it off. Exactly. <laughs> Let's uh, keep it open. Uh, the, at the time, you were the oldest rider in British Superbikes at 42. Shut up. Michael Rutt is about 850. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was that, is that, is that not a fact? Yeah. Yeah. Was he riding in British Superbikes that year? I don't know. He might have done a few wild cards or something, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he is old. Rutter, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, I, like to, I like to let him know all about it as well. We were teammates back in 2002 and we get on really, really well. So, uh, yeah, and I'm sure he was on the grid. You're, you're off to, to drive a, a car around the track soon, aren't you? I did. Just well, not around, just around British, the British track. GT? I drove uh, an aerial atom. An aerial recently. atom. But 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 what's interesting if you if you drive a car around the racetrack and then a motorbike, the the some corners the entry and the exit is is the same. And then but then a lot of the corners, did it feel strange? Or have you raced cars around tracks? You probably have. <laughs> I, I've had a I've had a couple of goes in cars around tracks, and it's something that that I'd really like to to try to do a little bit more. Yeah. But I think at the moment that you know. We touched on on 2018. I think if I can't jump back on a motorbike and and race a motorbike around the track, which is something I am half sensible at, then you know what am I going to bring to the table in a in a car racing team that that somebody's been racing cars as long as me or whatever, you know, and has that experience? What am I going to bring to the table that's going to be any different apart from a bit of a, a screw loose? Because they all think motorcyclists are bonkers, don't they? So, well, look at your career. Is you you are quite. Bonkers. I mean, you oh, thank are you, Charlie. fast. <laughs> and, and I mean, right from the beginning, you were fast, weren't you, in, in your career? Yeah, I mean, as it stands right now, I won my first ever race and I won to date my last ever race as well, which is which is quite a cool thing. And both at the same track, Brands Hatch Indy Circuit. And yeah, I think one of the things that, that was always good for me was the fact that it didn't matter. You know, everybody thinks that as a racer, you, you spend like, you know, the whole year riding your bike. But the harsh reality is, you know, you maybe get like three or four days of testing before the start of the season and you turn up and you do 12 rounds a year. So when you turn up, you know, you, you're kind of, everybody's sort of getting up to speed and feeling their way again. But I think I was relatively fortunate in that I had this ability to to go out and from sort of lap one, be literally there or thereabouts, do you know what I mean? And then it was just kind of small refinements from there on in, whereas other people took a lot longer to to build into it. There's always that feeling of sort of cold tires, isn't there, on that, on that first lap? I mean, you, you, there's the occasional, like, like you are, who's on it straight away, where others take a, a beat. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, I've always been the last person out of the pits, right? And, and there's a reason for it. It's something that I noticed as, as my career went on. I could, I could go out of the pit lane, you know, having not ridden for two or three weeks or however many weekends we'd had off, and literally ride out and, and, like I said, within the first lap be up to speed. But then there'll be so many riders on the grid who want to be towed around or who aren't quite sure where they're at yet. And, and you know, they might be, you know, halfway to the left or halfway to the right and, and, and in the middle of the track and not really doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I found it best to to let everybody go, let them get to pretty much the end of their their sighting lap and then I'd go out because then that was me you know I'd, I'd do my bit with my tyres get everything up to speed and, and that was me I was ready to go then and yeah after a lap or two you're going to catch the guys that were at the back of that thing but at least you got a bit of clear track to say right okay that's it let's go rather than sort of 
dilly-dallying around and, you know, after you, sir, or after you, sir. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, like, I'm not I don't feeling think it's that. after you, sir, is it, really? <laughs> Get out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> is that partly an ability that you have to, to remember the tracks and to be, you know, comfortable in where you are immediately? I think it's a more about being in your own groove. The best person at being you is you, right? You you can't be you can't be somebody else because the best person at being that other person is going to be that other person. So I like to get into my own groove, do my own thing, and you know, be in my zone rather than messing about in somebody else's for five minutes because you know they're, they're halfway around the track or whatever. So yeah, I just found it much easier to 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 do me and be me and 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 work in my own way and and carry on like that sort of thing. Were you racing? against yourself or were you conscious about the people you were racing against? I always say that as a, as a professional racer, basically Monday was my day off, right? And some people will argue that the day after Sunday, which is obviously the day you end up racing, you know, you should be back to work. But I always had Monday off. I always look forward to, to getting home and taking my children to school on Monday morning. Monday was my day to chill and reflect on whatever had happened, you know, the weekend before. But, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday are about preparing for Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And Friday, Saturday and Sunday, you know, Friday throughout free practice, one, two and three, Saturday free practice, and, and Saturday qualifying, the work that you're doing there, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday's work have put you physically and mentally in the shape you need to be in to, to perform on Friday and Saturday. And then the work you do on Friday and Saturday is the the, the reward you reap on, on, on Sunday, you know. So that was my way of looking at, at my career, you know. I knew if I'd worked hard Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday, I'd be in good shape on Friday. And if I did my job properly on Friday and Saturday, I'd be in really good shape on Sunday afternoon. And ultimately, there's no prizes for anything other than Sunday afternoon. So you've got to work all the way through and then you get the, the result at the yeah. end. And it's not about who else is there, who you're up against. It's just no, doing everything and, you can to the best of your ability. Yeah, and... because listen, right, if, if I go out on, on Saturday afternoon and someone qualifies half a second a lap quicker than me because they they chewed the screen and shut their eyes and whatever else, it's not going to affect my time on Sunday. It's not going to affect my performance on a Sunday afternoon when I actually need to perform. And if, if you want to go that fast, crack on. I mean, I, I can go fast over one lap. I don't find that a problem, but... I think too many people spend too much time thinking about what everybody else is doing. And, and if you walk up and down pit, like you've been to, to BSB a million times and, you know, you'll listen to such, oh yeah, but he did it on a one or he did it on a zero or he had to chuck a tire in at the end to make that happen and whatever. I just think it doesn't matter what you need to, to do to just make it happen. Get on with the job at hand. To, Yeah, make sure that Sunday afternoon, you know, you've got the package underneath you that, that you're going to get on and ride. You control the you, you can't You can't change nothing then. Yeah. So, so you can control yeah. what you can control. Yeah. But it's it's, it's, it's it's difficult to to do that, isn't it? To the what ifs and if only and could have. You don't seem to be the kind of person who sits there and says, "Oh God, I should have done that and I could have done that." You just got on with the job in hand. I think there's a there's a, been a a couple of points in my career where if I could have done something slightly different, I think that the outcome might have been better now. It's really, really nice when someone introduces you as the most successful ever rider in BSB, right? It's, it's quite a cool accolade and oh, yeah, it's, it's quite amazing. a... Uh, it's a number of championships in front of anybody, um, four more than anybody. It's... I don't know. I don't... I, I don't yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, no. Look, I'm just putting it out it's there. It's all right. right. <laughs> it's all right, to be fair. You know. No, you can cloak but, when you've done that. That's true. Yeah, 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 you, know, yeah. you can't do it. You, know, yeah, right. you just stick to your radio voice and let me talk. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and what was the award you didn't get? Yeah, just, yeah, just yeah. Wait, what was that? Can you come back again next week? <laughs> <laughs> no. So wow, what I was going to say was, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what I've done. 
the, the harsh reality is for me, as, a, as an individual, I failed because my dream is to be world champion. So if you said to me right now, I'll tell you what I'll do then, just give me those six pots from BSB and, and I'll give you a world championship pot. I'd, I'd yes, take it all yeah. day long. And, and you know, there's a, a massive part of me right now that, that still wants to be a world champion. I still, I still believe I could be world champion given, given the right package, you know. Um, so... Yes, it's nice to, to sit back, but that's like saying, well, yeah, I've got 50 quid in the bank. I wanted 100, but it doesn't matter. Do you know what I mean? Um, I'm happy with 50. I'm, I'm, I'm not happy, which is why I think I was as successful as I was in the, in the last part of my, my BSB career so far because I just figured, right, okay, if I'm not going to get this World Superbike opportunity, I want to smash the shh out of this BSB <laughs> yeah, thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I want it to be off. Yeah. This, I want nobody to ever be able to beat it. Yeah. And, and that's not because... I so desperately wanted to be BSB champion again or again or again or again or again. It's because I wanted to be World Superbike champion, but I wasn't riding the World Superbike championship. Yeah, and it yeah. doesn't matter how many you win in BSB, That's they don't add up to a World Superbike uh, title. Timings-wise, you you were BSB champion. You got a wild card for the World Superbikes at Brands. You won both those races. And that did that lead to the MotoGP opportunity? Mm. Yeah, so that led to MotoGP. And, you know, I think that, at the time, you know, we've had we've had a number of riders from the UK that have made it to to 500 Grand Prix or to Ultimate GP, and you know they've all gone there on like a one year deal, and and you know ultimately, right? We're we're all okay. There's a couple of nuts missing in here apparently, but we're all we're all <laughs> humans, right? We've got two arms and two legs, and yeah, any got, yeah. any any rival on the grid has the same two arms and two legs, right? So you can't you can't go into anything thinking, well, that guy's going to beat me because he's him or because he's him or whatever you have to go there believing that you know you've got the same two arms the same two legs you know he's got a throttle you've got a throttle you've got brakes get on with it do you know what I mean and and go and race them Mm. but the the harsh reality is those guys grow up in Europe you know racing in those tracks on those bikes and whatever so for you to go there on a one year deal and to to try and take it to them is always going to be really really difficult but my Aprilia thing wasn't wasn't a one year deal. It was a three year deal, and it was the reason that I that I went to MotoGP because I didn't want to to go there, throw the thing at the scenery every five minutes, trying to make up for that lack of experience or whatever, and ultimately get sacked at the end of the year and, and get fired out. You know, I wanted that first year that they offered me. I wanted the second year on the on the new bike with the you know a little bit of pressure to deliver results and and the third year was basically you know depending on the second year if everything was cool we were going to go again so it there was a there was a structure do you know what I mean there was a plan yeah. um unfortunately very shortly after signing for Aprilia um Piaggio bought them out the Piaggio group bought, bought Aprilia and they decided that they didn't want to do most GP no more and said sorry but you know you're four months in or whatever um, you're, out. you're out but um <laughs> At that point in time, one of the, one of the only regrets really I have is that I could have probably signed at the end of 2004 for a couple of factories in World Superbike. And at that point in time, you know, the, the World Superbike Championship had just gone to Pirelli's. You know, the guys were, you know, there were some fast guys in there, but nobody that I look at and think to myself, oh my God, you know, I shouldn't go there because such and such is there. Yeah. I had that opportunity, but at the same time, I had the owners, Dorna, saying to me, look, you, you, know, you 100% deserve to be here. You've done a great job so far. We'll find you a bike for 2005. Please stay. You know, if I'd have gone to World Superbike back then, maybe I'd be sitting here as a six-time World Superbike champion. Then I would be happy because yeah. I would yeah, have achieved that dream. Yeah. But mm. as it stands, I'm just grumpy and moody because I didn't. <laughs> 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 well, you might be grumpy well, join, join the club. Because join you the didn't club. get 
seven. <laughs> but, wow. Yeah. So this drive, you know, to be to be the best, where does that come from? Where are the early days of biking? Because your route was was not conventional. conventional. No, is, that, is that the word you're looking for? Well, it's just, you know, <laughs> when you look at look at the, you know, the guys you were racing against who grew up, you know, the first thing they ever did was ride a motorbike and they started racing from four years old and mm. you know, there was pressure and development. They grew up in the scene. That wasn't your background at all. No, far from it. In fact, completely the opposite because, yeah, this is this is no big deal, but I'm, a, I'm an adopted kid. I, I was born here in London um, and at six weeks old I moved down to Sittingbourne with my parents and neither of them even had a, a, a car driving licence, you know. So where this um, where this sort of desire to be a motorbike racer come from, I, I honestly don't know because I don't remember, I, I just do not remember not wanting to be a motorbike racer. So, it, you know, my, my career's officer used to laugh at me. He was like, what do you want to be when you leave school? I was going, oh, I'm going to be a motorbike racer. He's like, yeah, of course you are. Yeah, I'm going to be a, an astronaut. And I was like, oh, crack on, enjoy, you know. <laughs> you do your astronaut thing and I'll, and I'll do, you know, I'll do my motorbike racing thing. But I was I was dead serious, you know. And my mum still has like school books from, from primary school where, you know, you, you move up a class or whatever and you have to write down what you want to be when you're older and where you live and what your hobbies are and stuff like that. And, and from day dot, it's always been motorbike racer, but I have absolutely no idea, no idea whatsoever why. Was that, well, for, maybe it's from getting chased by the police all the time on your own No, I was a little bit older then. Uh, okay. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> the, 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 <laughs> when did you first sit on a motorbike? You know, was the desire to be a racer before you'd even seen or, you know, touched one? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, I remember actually going to Butlins at Bognor Regis. We used to go there on our on our school holidays. You know, my mum and dad used to we used to jump on the train, and my auntie and uncle used to take their their trailer tent and chuck all of our bags in their car or trailer or whatever it was. And you know, we'd jump on the train and we'd meet them down on the south coast, and we'd go to Bognor and and you know spend a couple of weeks at Butlins. And and you know that was how I grew up. I absolutely loved it. But I remember at Butlins they had some little putch magnums that you used to be able to ride around this this little oval. And quite often I'd just kind of disappear up onto it was like a bit of a seawall thing or this bank thing and I just sort of sit up there for hours and on end watching these guys go round and round and round on these bikes but I was too young to go on them but luckily for me my my older cousin Tim he got quite friendly because he was old enough to go on them he got quite friendly with the guys who were who were running them and and right on the last day he said to them look yeah, can you let my little cousin just have a go around? So, you know, I had a guy either side of me and, and sort of t Tim running along in front of me. And uh, I got on that bike and, and rode it around the thing. And, oh, my God, like, it, it's, <laughs> it, you know, if, if anything cemented it for me, it was that. I've got one now. I bought one and had one restored. Yeah. You, you know, Daryl, yeah. he's done oh, one yeah. for me. So uh, I've got this little putch magnum sat in my garage that I just walk out and, and look at every now and again. And it just makes me smile. At that time, had you you were already into BMX and yeah, yeah. I used to I used to ride around on my BMX and and you know the the our the neighbors, wheeling, I yeah. think at the time you were when you, that <laughs> I, I was did your I obsession. did like a wheelie yeah. I did like a wheelie <laughs> and and I used to uh, I always used to pretend that I was riding a motorbike but the, the thing with this motorbike was it had about eight million gears because I just used to ride around like doing gear change noises all the time and popping wheelies and you know the, the neighbors would be looking at me like that kid's not right. Do you know what I, mean? <laughs> I mean, some of my earliest memories are. are getting on a push bike and just going, mm. just riding, not knowing where I was going. And I was probably, you know, four or five years old and just disappearing. I felt like I was gone for hours and miles, but it was probably like 500 metres up the road. That's the funny right? thing, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. it's just that, well, you that's have that, that, that first memory kind of, of little freedom. bit of freedom, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Before the, the freedom where you could just it's twist that. that and it just you get, the, freedom, the steps get bigger, don't they? That's yeah, the thing. So you had this tremendous accident which kind of changed, changed your life a little bit. Mm. Well, quite a lot. 
clearly you're in the peak of your career. You, 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 you know, you saw yourself going on further. How did all that feel in your head? Because, I mean, it, it's a, that's a lot to take in. The way I look at it, right, is that if, if you were introducing, uh, interviewing sorry, uh, an electrician right now, there's a fairly good chance that electrician is going to have had an electric shock yeah. at some point, right? And if, if you're inter- interviewing a chef, he's going to have cut his finger, isn't he? You know, it kind of goes with the territory. So if you're interviewing a motorcycle racer, they're going to have hurt themselves at some point. Mm. There's that categorically no way. Mm. The greatest rider in the, on the planet will, will not, not hurt themselves riding motorbikes, right? It's going to happen. Mm. But it's part of the job. And part of that job... You know, we're here doing this podcast now, right? If that microphone breaks, first thing you're going to do is, is run to the shop, get a new microphone, and then you're good to go again, right? And and it's the same for us. You know, our bodies are are like a disposable item that you you know you break it and you're kind of rolling through the gravel trap and you think, oh no, that's that's a wrist. I've done a wrist. Oh right, okay. What's the name of the doctor that does wrists? Um, right, okay. I will get the insurance company to call him. I will get myself booked in. I get fixed, plate it, and and ten days later I'll be back on my bike. So life's always been like that, right? It's mm. been this. I always say the, the bad days make the good days better, right? When you roll through the gravel and you really, really hurt something, that that sucks at that point in time. But then when you come back and you win your first race back, it makes that win even more special. Yeah. The problem with the crash in 2018 is that it it hurt me quite a lot more. And it hurt things that you, you can't hurt. Do you mm. know what I mean? And it's caused problems that at the moment aren't fixing. And that's a big deal because... I've gone from feeling like a person with a 20-year-old body, if you like, to and, and, and not having any regard whatsoever for it. You know, it's, it's a tool that you use to <laughs> yeah, do a job. Yeah, use. Um, and, you know, you, you cycle up the highest mountains and you, you know, you taste your, your left lung on regular occasions because you want to be the fittest and the strongest and the most well-prepared person that you can possibly be when you get to the racetrack to all of a sudden being told... Look, you, you you don't understand. Like this killed this. You should be dead. You shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be walking. Do you know what I mean? This was this was big, and I remember one of the days I'd been in intensive care and I'd been in something even more intensive than intensive critical care or whatever. And you know, I'm I'm always the the, the first person to want to get up and and to try to start to make progress. You know, like right, draw a line under it. Let's try and work from there now and see where we can get to, and. I remember my surgeon coming in and I'd managed to get myself um, on the side of the bed and kind of stand up. And when he came in, he saw me standing up and went absolutely berserk at me. And he was like, get back in that, you know what I mean? Like, I won't tell you what he said, but he's like, do you not understand what you've done to yourself? Like, get in there, do not move. And, and I found that I found the pain of it obviously very, very difficult because it hurts, you know, motorbike. People think it's amazing how often somebody will say to you because you ride motorbike, oh, you're used to hurting yourself. Yeah. Well, you think it doesn't hurt me more than it hurts somebody else. Just as much every day. It gets actually harder each time. Motorcyclists are seen as the as the Careless. as the last of the of the of the great gladiators, really. Well, I don't think they you do know. themselves any favors either, because well, you see, they're falling off you know, all the time, but, but you, there's so many examples where you see someone get hurt at the weekend, and you've probably done it yourself. You know, cracked a collarbone, broken a leg, you know, snapped an ankle, but it's it's your right foot. 
so you can still shift a gear and you can still, you know, you see MotoGP riders on their crutches mm. climbing onto bikes and then going out and racing. And I've helped doing races. Yeah. Well, there, bikes. There's a reason why, the, me- right. there's a reason why the medical percept- or the medical profession call them donor cycles. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> it's that perception of, you know, and people see that on TV and think, oh, well, they, they can't be that badly hurt. It can't hurt them that much if they can go out with a broken bone and still race a bike it can't be it's weird it's almost can't be that hard yeah but, no. but they well, broke bones know, you know people are, die doing this sport and it's, it's but it, it, yes and it goes with the territory doesn't it why are you happy to take that to take the pain to, to then to put yourself back on a bike injured is it a sheer bloody minded focus or is it just you bloody love riding so much you that's all you want to do i think it's a it's a a very very large part of both because you know at the end of the day if you're going to go and get on a motorbike or or you know race around a track and push yourself to the limit you've got to expect that at some point you're going to go over it and the harsh reality is that if you don't get back on your bike somebody else will yeah and then you've got a mortgage to pay you've got you know i mean you've got bills i've got nappies to buy (laughs) that's expensive (laughs) so yeah it's uh it's important that you that you get yourself fix and you get back as soon as possible but you know one thing that that really that really kind of got me was last year Ducati sent me a Ducati Street Fighter V4S thing right I said I want a bike I, w- I want to have a go on a bike I've not ridden a bike for like three and a half years or whatever it's so been they said you wanted those they sent to ease me, you back in well I asked for it to be fair I said I didn't want a sports bike I wasn't interested in in having a sports bike one of the things about about being a motorbike racer and, and about being me at BSB level especially is that the second I get on a bike, everybody's on pit wall with a, with a stopwatch and, and yeah, all yeah. of the photographers are there and, and the, the videos and whatever. And they're all watching, they're all waiting for a mistake and they're all wanting somebody else to beat you, you know. So you're under this immense pressure to deliver every time you get on a motorbike. But Ducati sent me that bike and I actually did about, I think I did about 200 miles on it overall, over the course of like three or four months or whatever. And well, is this recently? Last year. Last year, to, okay. Towards like last summer. And this, is when, last this summer. is when you were, you were feeling confident with your neck and... and yeah, and I, I listen... putting that helmet on. Or you, and, did you do a Charlie Borman and just go out I, I, I way before you were ready of, with the cage on? Yeah, well, cage no, yeah, that, that would have been tricky. <laughs> <laughs> I can do many things, but even I couldn't have pulled that off. Honestly, I know it sounds really, really petty, but it really made me realise just how much I love that that mental release of, of getting out and just having nowhere to go, no time to get there, and and riding a motorbike. Mm. Honestly, it made me so happy. My wife went cracker. She was not happy because... <laughs> so did you ride... Because a lot of professional bikers won't ride on the roads. It's too dangerous, apparently. It's <laughs> probably fair. But have you always ridden all the way through your racing career? or were you... I wouldn't say I've ridden on the road a lot. Um, I mean, that's how you started. Yes. Wasn't it? So you kind of yeah. found, you know, found your craft of, of racing, well, ragging uh, around uh, streets uh, for fast bikes. Is that right? Technically, no, because I, I kind of, um, I started because I worked at a motorbike shop at 16 and just used to take the bikes out and, and, and roar around. Didn't you borrow some bike and you had to sit back and then, and then the police turned up at the, at the garage? Yeah, that might have happened as well. That was yeah. another customer's bike. Um, <laughs> there's been a few um, on the other side of Sittingbourne. There used to be a place that we called Merston Track, and it was just some wasteland of Brickfield or whatever. But back in the day, you know, when I was 16 years old, 
riding a 50 in the winter, you know, it was obviously it was obviously really cold. So quite often in the evenings, what I'd do, just because I wanted to be out on my bike, was I'd ride down to Merston Track. Obviously, the, the DT50 had a headlight, and I'd just go and do like loads and loads and loads of laps around around this track, just to just to kind of warm up, and then ride to the jet wash and blast all the mud off, and, and then that'd be me happy. But I remember the. At Merston, there used to be a place, well, I think it's still there, Free free Fishing Lakes. It's called the Free Lakes. And there was um, like an established traveler site there, right? And basically, I've gone down to I've gone down to Merston and I'm there at sort of 9 or 10 o'clock at night or whatever. And I've done a load of laps and, and you know, I'm quite warm and sweaty now. So I'm just sitting there with a 50 ticking over. And, you know, like when you've the headlight, you know, when you rev them, they kind of get a yeah. bit brighter, don't they? Yeah. Um, I'm sitting there, this thing's ticking over and I'm like, that's better. I'm a bit warmer now, and I, and I thought, what's that over there? And I looked like through the through the trees and stuff, and I saw a person. I was like, like that. and then I saw a couple of more, and I sort of revved the bike a little bit, and it lit these guys up, and there were all these travellers coming <laughs> over, and, and I thought, they are not coming to say hello. And I remember like like knocking the thing in gear and like shooting off and, and sort of avoiding all of these guys that were kind of now by now like running towards yeah. me to try and take the bike. Where the where the wall was broken, there were a few pebbles and stones and stuff on the floor, and I hit this thing and sort of jumped the wall into the church, kind of veered through all the the gravestones or whatever, and then shot off and went away. And, I, and that was another time my heart was beating oh, fast. That, I don't panic want to tell you. Yeah. Panic oh when, you're, when you're running away from people. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about about your accident and you know with with your wife and in your book you talk about you know there's a forty minute period of time where where she didn't really know what was going on and yeah, I mean. <laughs> I honestly don't know too much about it. Only obviously what what Petra's told me, and she went to the to the hospital on the premise that I'd cracked a rib. So she was furious because she had to drive all the way to Norwich because I'd cracked a rib. She was like, "Has he gone soft or something?" Do you know what I mean? She was talking um, about I must I must pack underpants this time because I keep forgetting. Yeah, every time he goes to the hospital, I never bring it. him new pants. Yeah. <laughs> Does um, she ever get bored of going to the hospital? My wife uh, has now just absolutely has she no come anymore. <laughs> well, she'll dump me there and then just leave yeah, me. Yeah, but enjoy. <laughs> no, no, she's uh, Petra's great. You know, she's she's always kind of had my back, and and we're we're like a team, you know, like we kind of work hand in hand. And yeah, she she got this call to say, oh, you know, he's not too bad. He's up and he's talking and he's got a cracked rib. And she was like, well, why, why, are, you, why are you telling me to come to the hospital? But then my engineer, um, Giovanni Krupe, had gone to the hospital with me and he'd been calling her and he was like, Petra, are you coming? And she was like, oh, he's cracked a rib. Like, he, he'll get over it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's no big deal. <laughs> We've been through far worse. And he was like, no, 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 you, you, you should come. Yeah, you really, you really should come. So she went and uh, she said that she had this immediate, like after the conversation with him, she had this really bad feeling for some reason because it had taken a really long time to to get hold of anybody to, yes, to find out what happened. So, yeah. Yeah. so anyway, she she ended up arriving in um, in Norwich Hospital and she had our our two children with her. She met Giovanni and and then the doctor came in and apparently the doctor sort of started working his way through the injuries and it started off with this. She was like, oh, I've been told he's cracked his rib uh, or cracked a rib. He's like, oh, yeah, oh, he's cracked a rib. He's, he's cracked all of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're all broken. Um, but that's the least of your problems. He's not breathing. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it, it kind of it kind of went on and on and on to the point where, you know, he'd explained about the spinal cord, he'd explained about the neck, the back, the chest, everything else that was broken, and then said to her, so I'm really sorry to say, but, you know, I have to say, 
you know, the, these next 24 hours are, are absolutely critical. You know, mm. if he makes it through the night, then, you know, maybe we can we can start to do some work on him. But it's going to take at least three or four days before he's well enough to do any operations. And and that was when the, the reality hit her. I mean, obviously, I'm, yeah, you're I'm, I'm completely I'm away on, on, another, on another planet at that time. But, um, you know, for, for her, that was that was really difficult. And you know, she she reminds me all too often when I when I go on one of my little kind of right, that's it, I wanna get back on a bike or I wanna do this or I wanna do that. She's like, You didn't have to sit there when they told me you weren't gonna And and, and I get it. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I completely and get it. And that's probably fear from her, isn't it? Rehab is a is a is a big thing, isn't it? I mean, watching you on, on Eurosport doing, you know, commentary for, for I think was it Worlds or British uh, Worlds and you're sitting there with that with that very attractive cage. Don't knock it. Mobile phone signal was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I had about eight G, I think, when I walked around that thing. <laughs> you can hear dogs talking. <laughs> but, but, but but even though you were you were cracking on with it, it must have been really hard for you. It was really difficult because one of the things that happened not long after I came out of hospital was I decided, you know, my doctor had said to me, you know, give it, give it a couple of months and then start to do some walks. Or, you know, you only got to walk from one room to another or whatever. And about three or four days after coming out, I was on my wife's running machine in the garage. And, and <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. that's no, not, not you. Run, not running, to be fair, like just, just walking. But um, Well, they it, did say to be a little bit careful, didn't they? Yeah, because but it, it made still me, wasn't fused. Yeah, it made me really ill, like really, really ill. And uh, I got put back in hospital again. And oh <laughs> my God, like I, I actually thought I was having a heart attack, but I ended up having pneumonia, I think. And um it got so painful and because I was sort of stuck and, and the whole of my upper body couldn't move, I, I couldn't even like, you know, my, my chest really. was broken anyway, all my ribs were broken and I had this like unbelievable pain inside of me and I was like, oh my God, what have I done? But I couldn't even, I couldn't even like cradle myself like mm, a baby, yeah. like, you'd, like you'd try to. And um, sleeping because you were... That was it, just on your back. Yeah, that that was it. I mean, we went through so many different types of pillows. There's not a pillow that that exists that I can't tell you about. (laughs) (laughs) That's a new career. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, maybe maybe I could do a podcast about pillows (laughs) or something. (laughs) But but that idea of not being able to roll on your side and and oh, I'll tell you a funny story about rolling on your side. Right in in hospital, I think I would have been in. I wasn't in critical care. I must have gone into intensive care because then I was a little bit more with it, but. I got so sick of being laid on my back and and I mean so sick of it like everything hurts you know what I mean you're, you're not you can't move you can't do anything and I remember when they first started doing you'll remember these log rolls right so they, oh, yeah. they roll you onto oh, your side awful. and oh my god like it, honestly it felt like somebody had snapped my spine again and just kind of mm. twisted it and pulled it apart this was horrible right but doing a couple of these log rolls made me realise that it was possible to get off my back. And this one night, right, I'm having I'm having a really, really bad night. I'm I'm <laughs> suffering like physically, I'm suffering mentally, and I'm like, right, I've got an idea. I'll do a log roll and I'll lay on my front for a bit. Because that that'll just give me a little bit of relief and hopefully I'll nod off, right? I just gently, gently, gently started to rock backwards and forwards a little bit. And I pulled and pulled and pulled and and got onto my side. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm off my back. I'm off my back. This is amazing. And with that, I kind of tried to shuffle my legs and my bum across the bed a little bit so that I could kind of just roll over. And, you know, like when, you, when you've when got your bed, you've got the little buzzer thing in case anything goes wrong. Well, basically, 
from that point, I, I managed to, to roll myself onto my front. But the problem was when I got there, I was like face first, arms behind my back and, and practically suffocated myself because I couldn't <laughs> breathe and I couldn't move. And I'm like this trying to find the, uh, the thing to buzz the nurses and they come running in and they were like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, oh my God, what a disaster. I laid on my back after that. I just, yeah. I was like, yeah, I'm cool, yeah, I'm, I'm cool yeah, with my yeah, back. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. So what was uh, at that point, what was your mindset like? What were your, you know, were your goals? Were you just because of everything you'd been through in the past with injury and just that, you know, are you thinking, I need to get back on a bike, I'm going to lose my job, you know, as soon as I possibly can. That's 100% my sole focus is to get back racing. Was that I think I think you? Or? No, I think that I'll, I'll be I'll be 100% honest that this wasn't a collarbone. Don't get me wrong, getting home and getting on the running machine was me drawing a line under everything and getting going again. But when the outcome of the accident was described as graphically as the doctors described it to me, I'm not stupid. Do you know what I mean? And and I'm not saying that, that it made me think, right, that's it, I never want to race a bike again. Far from it. Complete, in fact, completely the opposite. But... I did think to myself, you can have to give yourself a little bit of time for this one. You know what I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this might take more than a couple of weeks. And I imagine as a racer, you know, that competitive streak of just, you know, every weekend you can for years and years and years, you're competing and you've just got to, you know, you come fall off, you get back on. You lose, you want to win. That drive. Did you process the the impact that that had had or were you just did you go back to type? I described something the other day as like Shane and Shaky being two different people. Um, you know, Shaky's maybe Shane's alter ego, if you like. And, you know, I've I've only ever known what, what Shaky would do for the last 20 odd years of my career. And, you know, Shaky is is still, you know, the, the predominant person in me, I guess. But Shane got left to to wonder about flipping out, you know, what what if you know, what if, or, you know, what if I've got to be in a wheelchair or what if I've got to do this or how am I going to do this? And I mean, I, I touch wood, I've not had full on cancer, but I remember I got two. It's a piece of piss compared to breaking your back, honestly. Yeah, well, <laughs> do you know what, right? You say that, but it scared me more than anything else I've ever done. I remember going in and, and seeing a doctor because I'd started getting really bad acne at like 40 years old or something. And I was like, doctor, I never had it when I was 16. I don't want it now. Do you know what I mean? And this guy was like looking at me and he kind of went around my face and he was like, oh yeah, this is that. A cream will fix that. This is that. This is that. Oh, and, and, and here you've got a couple of, what they call tumours. And I was like, like honestly, the, the first thing that went through my mind was, oh no, my kids. How am I going to tell them? Mm. What, what am I going to say? How am I going to say that that's yeah. got, got two tumours in the side of his head? You know, that's, that's not cool. And I remember I had to race that weekend and, and it really, really got me, like it frightened the life out of me. So after the weekend, I went to, um, to see another doctor. He looked at me and was like, look, these type are the, the, the ones that you choose all day long. It's absolutely no problem. They're going to be like the size of a Smartie. I'll cut them both out and, and hopefully that'll be it. They'll all be gone. And that put my mind at ease a little bit and he took them out. But that, I think, was the first time in, in life that I've actually been frightened. Do you know what I mean? Really frightened mm, because yeah. no, I look at my yeah, daughter and I look at my son and I look at my mm. wife and, and I feel like my job is to is to provide for them, you know. The 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 hard times that we suffer at home together make the, the, the good times that we share, you know, when they're on the podium with me or when we're on a nice holiday or whatever. That's what it's all for. Do you know what I mean? It's not yeah. it's not for anything else. A motorcycle racer is inherently incredibly selfish, right? Everything about your life 
runs around you and your racing. And it's a horrible thing to say, but it's how it has to be, right? Um, Having children changes you, for sure. But I think there was a time when people would say, oh, he's lost it now, he's had kids, do you know what I mean? He's gone softer or whatever. I think, if anything, it makes you want to perform even more because now you're not just performing for you, you're performing for your children. I want want my children to walk into school and say, oh, your dad won the race the weekend, that was great, do you know what I mean? Do you get nervous? Yeah, I get nervous. Yeah, for sure. But generally, that's a good thing. The more nervous I think you get, the better. If I'm you don't perform. get nervous, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. Those people that don't get nervous about things like yeah. that, they're cold, just, dead they're hearts, fucking bonkers. You know? Yeah. 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 No, I, I think that race weekend consists of you know, f- even though you're not because you're you know hydrating yourself properly, it consists of feeling like really dehydrated. It consists of you know headaches. It consists of like. <laughs> for want of a better word, having the trots all the time. Do you know what I mean? Since 2018, the whole process is not so straightforward anymore anyway. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things need planning very, very carefully yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a warrior? No. Certain things will get you, won't they? And, and certain things will make you mm. contemplate what's going on and, and whatever else. But I think all the time you're racing, yeah, you're, you're so kind of driven yeah. and so focused that you don't really have a lot of time to worry. And, and you know, ultimately, I think a, a lot of a lot of anxiety or a lot of worry comes down to to fear about providing, you know, on my part. And you know, all the time that there's some money coming in and and you can pay the bills and you can feed your kids and you, know, you can take a holiday or or whatever, then then life's not that bad. I mean, do you think a lot of other riders feel that way? Or I mean, Taylor McKenzie has has just retired, hasn't he, from Supersport? And he was, you know, he, he won his last race, but he said the the stress. And the anxiety he was suffering was was too overwhelming to to continue, and that was fears of you know, money coming in and getting the next gig, and you know, the hustle that needs security. to happen. And security yeah, racing. I think that there will have been a level of being Neil McKenzie's son as well. You know, he kind of expected to perform, and and maybe yeah. gave himself a bit of a harder time Especially than he perhaps needed to. All right, as well. And yeah, and help. and yeah, Taz has just won the BSB title, so you know he's going to want to do well. And it just wasn't for him as well, you know. I mean, I remember with, with acting, you know, being dyslexic and stuff, I, I used to put myself through terrible You felt you should trauma. be an actor because of your father? Well, partly that, and but but and, and I kind of fell into it a little bit because, you know, he had four children and we were free, so he would just throw <laughs> us into his movies. But but it, w- when I sort of started acting seriously, it, you know, I used to get terrible stress from learning lines. And, and because of my dyslexia, I just found it unbelievably hard. And, and that's partly why I ended up stopping acting. Did you have a process that you followed, though, to, to, to make it easier? Because I think that yeah. if you look at my GCSE results, you wouldn't say, oh, my God, the kid's a genius. But at the same time, I feel like put me in, in a situation and I'll try and find the best way out of it, the best way I can, you yeah. know? Yeah, It's not just riding a bike, is it? And, you know, sending the bike up, being able to understand preload, dampener, reload, you know, all the characteristic tyre wear, all of these variables well, is that, and that go it's, into it's, setting a bike up to getting it right you've got to have a fairly strong intellect to be able to translate what is what you're feeling and communicate that to engineers for them to change something to make it work better yeah i think so but i'm a motorbike racer and then you you watch people on the tv or you watch acting for instance and and you think oh, i could do that and it's not until you actually try and and you do it for the first time that you then finish a show or you you finish a, a bit of live TV and you think, oh, I wish I'd have said this or I should have said that or I, 
how did I do that on, on such a thing? And, you know, people, people don't understand that when you, when you do live TV, there might be four or five people talking to you in your earpieces, ear yeah. whilst two or three people are having a conversation with you and you're supposed to be answering their question. And, you know, it's, it's once you've, you've experienced stuff like that, that you, you realize how good some people are at doing things. So the, the reason for saying to you, did you have a process to help you do that was because you know, I, I finished filming an episode the other day and the first thing I thought when I come away from there was flipping out. Like, it really makes you appreciate how good people are at other things. Like, you, you think, oh, I could turn my hand to that. I could host this podcast. I could do that. But yeah. then you get to the end of no, it. You and really you think, could. I wish I'd have done this or yeah. I wish I'd have done that, you know? Where are you at the moment with, with your recovery? You were on a bike the other day, but where's your mind at? What does the future look like? You know, they say you should never judge a, a book by its cover, right? You look at. You know, I, I sit in my garage, right? Mental health. We talk about mental health, right? The whole of lockdown. All I've done is walk into my garage and I have a, a stages bike, which is like a an exercise bike thing that's connected to Zwift, and I just sit in there and pedal. It's my it's my escape, right? It's my thing that I do. Because up until that point last year where I thought, do you know what? I I've I, I need to I need to draw a new line. I need to go back on a motorbike mm. because I knew something was missing. You know, obviously racing's missing and that's the that's, that's me. Like yeah, shaky burn is a is a, is a yeah. motorbike racer and nothing Nothing like I, I fly helicopters and I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I love nothing more than going up in the helicopter and flying around and, and looking about and seeing all these you know cool places and not getting stuck in traffic jams and whatever else. It makes me really, really, really happy. Well, we could have sorted out the helipad for you if we'd known. You well, you have, should have said because yeah. then I wouldn't have to go all anxious about getting on the tube and <laughs> life would have you been so have much landed, easier. You could have landed in in Batsy and I'd have picked you up. Oh, yeah. what, what are you flying? A forty-four? No, or? a jet ranger. Oh, jet ranger. Do you know what would make me really, really happy right mm. now? If if you said to me, "Oh, there's a there's a, a couple of bikes here. Should we just go for a ride and have a coffee somewhere?" No, I wouldn't even care less what the what the bikes were. To be fair, because motorcycling's a, a really a really unique thing. The the sense of freedom, the sense of adventure. I, I couldn't imagine. With the with the greatest respect, going off and, and riding around the world because I get bored at the end of the first dual carriageway. Do you know what I mean? I, I even want to start. You know, I have to I have to convince myself that I'm just going out for a little potter about and, and whatever else. But yeah, the open road is a is a funny thing and it's a it's a perfect place to just escape and have a think about life and put yeah. things into context and or, or I really not enjoy think it. at all. Either, yeah. which is another nice. I like the connection between you know where you can see the road rolling mm. underneath your your wheels you can you can you know a bit, a bit of electric having the engine taken out you, I want to ride an electric bike I've, never, I've not never, driven or ridden anything electric should, just, yet well, 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 I'll, when the weather gets a little warmer we'll organise and come and ride my live bike it's mental is it but yeah how is the connection with the bike then because people people always used to ask oh you know look at your dash like you maybe do a garage tour in the mm. in the in the bsb garage or whatever and some of the sponsors have come in and they turn the dash on and they see the you know the, the the bar that goes up for the rpm and all of the information that we have to keep an eye on when we're racing mm. to make sure that everything's all right with the engine and stuff and they'll be like how on earth do you get time to look down at that and make sure that you're changing gear at the right time and, and whatever else you know how can that possibly happen and it's it, it doesn't happen you don't even look at it you don't even know it's on there like <laughs> yeah, it's a it's, it's a connection it's a it's a feeling and that's what's really interesting about riding a, a an, an electric bike is because that engine's taken away which is something you're just used to since you yeah. first rode a motorbike. You don't have to change gears. But then, you don't have to listen you don't have to, to change gear. Yeah. But then, but then, but what's really interesting is is that there's suddenly you can actually you can hear the road, right? Sound on the side of the road as well, and and so suddenly all this is is 
is different. And then, you know, like everything, after after half an hour of riding, it, it just becomes, becomes just normal. Becomes a bike yeah. and becomes normal again. But there's something very addictive about it. I'm not saying it's it's better or worse. It's just different. I'm very curious about the electric thing, cars and bikes. And it's only because fuel's going up to £1.50 a litre, to be fair. But, <laughs> oh, you um, start to think about electric now. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it's really pushing this electric thing for me. But I'm incredibly tight. Shaky, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very uh, it's much. Been fascinating. Thank you for listening to The Nod, a mindful motorcycle podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Do make sure you subscribe to get your alerts when the next show is released. Head over to our webpage, motorcyclenews.com forward slash The Nod, where all the links to previous episodes can be found. Don't forget to buy your Nod coffee to drink whilst listening to the next episode. We'll be back next week with another guest from the wide world of motorcycling subculture. Join us next time, and until then, stay safe, be kind, and check in with a mate. <laughs>